Travel narrative. We're in the way. Uh, we're doing this thing called the travel narrative. It is Luke uh, chapters, like late chapter 9 all the way through 19. And what we've been saying is that Jesus is on this three to five day walk. He starts from uh, north of the Sea of Galilee, and this is his last kind of three days, five days on earth before he gets to Jerusalem and uh, is crucified. And so as he takes his followers, his disciples, and he, he's walking them down to the crucifixion, he's walking them down to uh, sort of this pivot point in history, what they do is they experience all of these different things along the way, and most importantly, they experience uh, Samaria. So he has to walk them through hostile territory. And there's no better thing for us in the, the season we're in in our nation and divided world and all these things for us to go, how do we live in divided territory? How do we live in a hostile territory where the gospel that we present may not always be as friendly as we think it is. And so we're going to pick up the journey. Last week, what we saw is that we had three followers attempt to join the journey with Jesus, and then when told what it would require of them, they dropped out immediately. And so we're on to an inauspicious beginning where Jesus is like, come with me, and they went, well, maybe. Um, and so what we have now is the faithful who are opting in, they're going to get on with the mission. And so we're going to start in Luke chapter 10, verse 1 this week. We'll have it on the screens. Read along with me. It says, after this, after those three bailed, the Lord appointed 70 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to come. Remember, they're going to get room and board. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. So pray, therefore, the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So now we have a ministerial aspect that's going as well. Not only go out ahead of me, but hey, while you're going out ahead of me and kind of making a path, you're going to be ministering, and it's not going to be easy. So I send you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So carry no purse, no bag, no sandals. Salute no one on the road. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace be to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace shall rest upon him. But if not, it shall return to you. And remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they provide, for the laborer deserves his wages. Do not go from house to house. When you enter a town and they receive you, eat what is set before you, heal the sick in it, and say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. But whenever you enter a town and they do not receive you, go into its streets and say, even the dust of your town that clings to our feet, we wipe off against you. Nevertheless, know this, that the kingdom of God has come near. I tell you, it shall be more tolerable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Okay, so now we're getting into mission. We're getting into ministry. Jesus sends out 35 pairs of two. Math majors, 70. And he says, guys, I'm sending all 70 of you out. And he follows that by saying the laborers are few, which is to say he's setting up a pretty overwhelming mission. Guys, you're the kingdom bearers. You're going out ahead of me, and you guys have the entirety of this message on your shoulders. I spent a a summer of my life, I had many different jobs. We've talked about this before, but uh, one summer in college, I was uh, tasked with clearing cedar trees from a ranch in Texas. So I said the word summer in Texas and it implied it was outside. So you already know this is the worst job I've ever had. And a cedar tree, it's actually like a juniper. It's, some, it's not actually a cedar tree as we would know it, but uh, in Texas, they're called uh, cedar trees. And so the, the rancher would send you out and he'd say, here's the saw or here's this loppers or here's whatever. And the, the job was to cut anything uh, five feet or shorter. And so the first place we went, the only place I went because I never did it again, uh, was this 100-acre ranch. And there had to be, you know, 100 of these five foot and under cedar trees per, per acre at least. And, and these are like invasive, nasty, 
water-sucking. Uh, they kill the natural, the, the, the trees that are, are meant to be there. They take up all the water, which there isn't much of anyway. And then there are these pollen bombs. And so every year, people have what they call cedar fever in Texas because when the first north wind blows, all these trees have all this pollen sitting on them, and it's yellow. And so you'll know when that first north wind has come through because half the cars in the city that were sitting in a driveway and not in a garage are just yellow. It doesn't matter what color your car is, it's yellow. And so we go out into this pollen bomb forest and we're told anything under five feet you cut. Well, when you see 100 trees per acre and 100 acres and you're told the two of you, it's me and a friend, with two loppers and like a bottle of water, you're going to clear this. It's overwhelming. Like the two of us, you do the math on this one, this is not even 35 times two. This is 100 times 100, 10,000. There's like 10,000 trees, and there's two of us. And if we worked really, really hard in the 105-degree heat all day long and never took a break, it would take us forever because by the time we got to the last acre, the first acre would already just grown back. And so you just feel overwhelmed. I didn't want to do it. We did it for a few days, and then um, we just never went back. Uh, that's called integrity when you take a job and then quit. What's the point? Why are you telling us about this terrible job? The mission at times can feel overwhelming. For me, that summer felt overwhelming. I just couldn't do it. I opted out. There's too much. It's too hot. It, it, it's just two of us. You could put a hundred of us here and it would still take us three months. Jesus sends 70 guys out. And he goes, it's all on you. And I don't know that they felt the way I felt. Maybe they didn't quite understand the thing he had asked them to do, but it had to be overwhelming. You guys are going out and figure it out. And I don't know if you feel this way at times, but as, as the percentage of people who really, really follow Jesus shrinks, in our country anyway, it's exploding in some other continents, but for us, you look around and how many people do you know that absolutely are all in following Jesus? And how many people do you go, well, they used to, or they kind of do, or they maybe do, or they don't at all. And, and it feels like Christianity is getting less and less and less in our modern culture. And so if this is your mission, to go out and be the ambassador of Christ, to be the person taking the gospel to the people, it can feel overwhelming. Like, I'm supposed to reach my entire street, because I think I'm the only Christian on the street, so I'm supposed to get all of them, and I don't have a relationship with any of them, and I need to give them all Jesus? And so what we tend to do when faced with those sorts of uh, expectations is in the overwhelm, we shut down and we back out entirely. We go back into a shell. And so I want to say one thing before we get into the, the meat of what's actually happening in this passage is we're going to put it on the screen because I want you to read it, internalize it, hear it, all of it. You were not sent to save the world, but to serve the individual. One of the number one reasons that Christians check out of, uh, of our mission in the world is we take on a savior complex and we begin to think, well, I got to save my neighbor. I got to save my mother. I got to save my cousin. I got to save my coworker. It's my job. You are not responsible for them, but to them. You were not sent to save the world, but to serve the individual. The Holy Spirit does the work of drawing hearts to himself, and God wants to use you as you serve along the way. And so when you are sent out, and you are sent out, your job is not, how do I bring salvation to this house? It's, how do I serve this house in the name of Jesus, and watch as God saves them? Okay. So, it's not only overwhelming. So we start with this idea that it's overwhelming. A, that's true. B, Jesus says it's also dangerous. Hey, guess what, guys? Overwhelming job, super dangerous, just like Texas. Rattlesnakes, hate that. So here they go. Guys, it's, it's, it's not just that I've asked you to do a lot. Actually, I'm sending you out as lambs amidst wolves. Lambs amidst wolves. So um, here's what we need to remove from that. We need to take this out and, and hold this close. 
I got bad news as you take the good news, okay? You're not welcome. And you have to really internalize this because this is, this is surprising for a lot of us still. You are not welcome. You are foreigners in a foreign land. You are proclaiming wild, countercultural, super radical ideas. And until we get to a point where we actually get that and recognize that, we will continue to be disappointed and disillusioned and we'll begin to check out. It's not supposed to be easy. And, and it surprises us because Christianity has been the dominant culture in, in the U.S. for so long that as we look around, it's surprising to us when people are now offended by our faith. But we're such nice people, we think. Why wouldn't they like what I like? Why wouldn't they believe in my Jesus? I'm so nice. Jesus says, nope, your lambs sent amidst the wolves. And, got to read a little further, but what you'll find out is your message is offensive. Your message the good news of the kingdom of God is offensive, or it should be. If it's not, we have a different problem. It should be offensive. If you go to your, uh, your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your relative, and you say, hey, I got this really cool plan for you, really awesome. You're going to want to join in on this. You're going to love it. First thing is you got to give up your wealth. It's not yours anymore. And then I need you to submit to others, like just kind of like lay your life down in front of people. Real easy. Um, Love your enemies? So you have any, you got a couple? Okay. Um, love them. No, not, not like say you're going to love them, like love them. I want to pray for the people who've hurt you. That your, your ex? Yes. Tax man? Yes. Whoever. Pray for them. Oh, oh, uh, this is one of the most fun parts of, of what we're going to invite you to, is I want you to accept um, suffering and sacrifice, like with joy. <laughs> That'd be kind of cool. And then, oh, yeah, sorry, last thing. And then what uh, big, kind of the foundation is you're going to basically give up your life for the marginalized. Yeah, no, 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 not the people that matter. The people that don't matter, like on the edges that everybody's forgotten about, you got to yeah, give your life for them. No, well, maybe die, but I don't know, maybe not. But just give, and we'll see what happens. So let me spare you the heartbreak that is coming when you give that message to somebody. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants that. Nobody is around, the, the reason we're shopping online, the reason that we're, we're chasing all these uh, bad habits and, and the reason that we're addicted to all these other things, the reason we're looking is we, we don't want that. Now, we don't know that we need that and that it actually is the thing that breathes life into us. When we're, when we're lost people, we don't get it. But the lost person isn't going, you know what, if I could just find something that was harder, induce more suffering and cause me to lose my life, that's the thing that I'm looking for. No one's looking for that. Nobody wants it. Most Christians don't want it. Some of those things are not things we've adopted yet. Not every day. Give some money, but I'd still like to be really wealthy. I'll submit to others unless they're the weird ones. Love your enemies. Yeah, I can do that by crushing them, right? We're going to dominate our enemies. That's how we won't have anymore. Pray for those who hurt you. Really, though? Eh, pray for them to be hurt. Accept suffering and sacrifice. Yeah, I can do that one right after vacation. We'll get a we'll suffering and sacrifice. We'll do that. We are no different than anyone else in the history of creation. We spend our lives making Jesus in our own image. We recast God into our image. But it's not the way it works. And this is the hard part. This is the difficult thing. This is the lambs amidst the wolves thing. If we could just make Jesus in our image, then he would like the things we like, and he'd have the same screw-ups that we'd have, and then we'd all be cool, and we wouldn't have be challenged. But everything runs through a Jesus filter, not through my filter. Jesus isn't a capitalist. 
That's hard. He's not a communist or a socialist. He's not a Methodist or universalist. Jesus isn't any of the ists that we've created. Jesus is the king of the universe sent to ransom his people. When we make him less than that, when we put him into a box that we've created, whether it's the right system or the wrong system, the right political party, the wrong political party, whatever one we want to create and say, Jesus would probably be this. Jesus is the son of God and the creator and keeper of life. And so we have to get him out of the tiny little box that we've created and allow him to be who he's called to be. Jesus is sending out his friends who he calls us friends. He's sending us out with an offensive message. And so our culture has to submit to Jesus. Our traditions have to submit to Jesus. Our lives have to submit to Jesus. And then he gives a plan for people who don't receive him. Because he's, he's not going to be surprised that people don't receive the disciples as he sends them out. He's not surprised when your good news proclamation is rejected. Like, oh, man, it's supposed to work. And it's not a sales pitch. And Jesus gives instructions for the rejection that's coming. Wasn't popular then, it's not popular today. And we have to be okay with that. Jesus sends them out with interesting instructions too, doesn't he? Go simply. Nothing extra, nothing extravagant, no backup plan. And this is where we get the picture, we start getting this picture as Jesus sends us out that as his sent ones, as his missionaries into the world, the gospel is three things. It is simple, it is direct, and it's relational. It's simple, it's direct, it's relational. Look at every time Jesus sends someone out, every time Jesus asks people to go do the mission work of bringing the good news to the people, it is simple. No, no, take less. No, no, make it, make it more simple. Make it more straightforward. It's direct, straightforward. Don't try to trick them into it. Give them the truth. And then it's relational. There's not a lot of pictures of, of Jesus on the street corner yelling at strangers as they pass by. It's him inviting people into the circle, him inviting people to walk with him for a few steps. And as they walk with him, as he gets to know them, as he converses with them one-on-one, they begin to get it. It's been this way since the beginning. We don't need more wild strategies. What we need to do is learn how to enter a house and proclaim the kingdom like Jesus calls his disciples to do. People sometimes say, you guys have mission trips around here? Yep. It's your life. You know. Your life is a mission trip. But you have to be on mission to experience it. So people want to escape and get to the mission trip. Well, when, when is the mission trip happening? I'll be like, yep, yeah, well, um, yeah, now is a good time if you want to get started. Don't even need a passport. Life's a mission trip. You just have to be on mission. You just have to know that there's something here for you to do. And that doesn't mean that going across the world on a mission trip is a bad thing. It just means that don't think that's the mission. The mission is here. The mission is now. The mission is your street, your coworkers, your distant cousin, your Facebook friends. That's your mission. Make relationships, share Jesus. That's like the big strategy. Make relationships, share Jesus. Make relationships, display Jesus. When they ask you, why are you doing this? There you go. We get bored. It's not that exciting. Do you know how many shows there are on Netflix? I can just switch. Where's like the Jesus Netflix where I can switch to a different version of this that's more interesting? The last 150 years of the Western church has been sort of a train wreck of different strategies. Some of them have worked, and God uses all of them. So don't hear me busting anybody's other ideas. But the last 150 years have been like, 
we've done everything but the direct, relational, simple approach. Revivalism hit. Everybody knows a little about what that sounds like. It's a Billy Graham crusade. It's, it's 60,000 people in a tent. Those aren't bad things. People are found there. God uses that. We did attractional church. Get everybody in the room. We did emergent church, which is like anti-attractional church. We did seeker-sensitive church, which is like, eh, maybe preach the gospel, but more just get people in the room, and then we'll see what God wants to do. We did postmodern church, which is like there is no reality. And we, like we've, these are all different like zones where the church has kind of shifted back and forth, and we keep coming up with new ideas. And what we always end up landing back on, the people who figured this out, is gospel-centered church. Simple, direct, relational church. We're going to talk more about this in the weeks to come, but what if church meant you're part of a group that's intended to see your neighbor, like identify who they are, see them? Not see your neighbor mowing the lawn and be like, gosh, why does he mow so early on Saturday? But see your neighbor mowing the lawn and go, that's my neighbor. I got to find a way to talk to him. Be available to your neighbor create margin in your life so that when you meet them over the fence, when you see them in the driveway, you're not running to the next thing, but you have five minutes to just start a conversation, engage your neighbor on deeper things, begin to have conversations beyond uh, the, hey, how are you doing? Hey, did you get that thing in the mail too? Isn't that funny? Good. See you later. And then people are going to go, wait, 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 who's my neighbor? We're just talking about my next door neighbor. Jesus is going to answer that two weeks. 23rd, we're going to talk, who is my neighbor? Hint, it's not just your neighbor. Invite your neighbor like, maybe they would want to experience this incredible joy and the flourishing and the party that we're having every week. Nick said uh, recently, he goes, nobody wants to invite themselves to the party. You think about that? Brixton invites two friends to the party. I didn't invite their parents. She invited her friends. Her friends invited their parents. The parents came last week. We had 12 brand new guests. We had 38 people in our 11 o'clock service, and 12 of them were Brixtons. They came back Friday night. She goes, nobody wants to invite themselves to a party. She's like quoting Nick, which is as the father is a little bit of a pride thing for me now because he's going to go live with her. Ask your neighbor, and what do you believe? Where do you land on some of this stuff? Share with your neighbor. Here's what I believe. This is going to sound really countercultural, and it's just it's what I do, though. Share. That reality that Jesus is king, that he created you and watched you fall, but he showed up to rescue you, that he wants a relationship with you, that if you follow him and you call him Lord, that if you let him be king, that there's life beyond death, that there's life beyond the here and now, that you were designed for his holiness and you were designed for beauty and you were designed for this joy unspeakable. And when you live in that, you're flourishing like you would never have believed. It took me 23 seconds. So, I mean, I don't know if you want that or not. I don't know if that's something you're into. That's what I do, and I just want to be your friend. I just, I just want, to, I want to connect with you and walk with you wherever you are in the journey. That, that's just, anyway, you and your wife want to come over. Hey, neighbor, you want to come? We're, we're grilling next, next week. You want to just come over? Hey, the big game's coming. You want to just come? Okay. Jesus said to find people of peace. When you find a house of peace, stick with it. When you find someone that's open to the good news, even if they're not fully open to it today, but they're open to the, wait, wait, tell me more? It's a person of peace. Jesus said, when you find a house like that, stay there. When you find a neighbor like that, a coworker like that, a cousin like that, when you find somebody who goes, wait, you guys really believe that? Man, that's a house of peace, and your job is to move in. Because they're open. And so he says, eat with them, sit with them, talk with them, live with them. 
Jesus sends them out to heal the sick, not condemn the sinner. The sinner. He said, if you're received, minister to the people. If not, shake the dust from your sandals, which is this formal rebuke. Talked about that before. Jesus didn't show up to condemn the world, though. And this is, we got to get out of the, the enemy thing because we're in a really divided place. And so if you're not for me, you're against me. And Jesus said, I didn't show up to condemn the world. And this is something we forget because there is condemnation involved if we reject. So that is true. But Jesus' priority was salvation. And the sad reality for many is condemnation. But we don't, we don't get condemnation first. You're condemned unless you want to do this thing. Jesus says, I showed up to save, not to condemn. And he will say, and if you reject the message I bring, if you reject the good news, if it's too offensive, then I guess, okay. But I'm here to save. John 3.16, we like John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 3.17 says what? God sent his son into the world not to condemn but that the world might be saved through him. John 3.17 is important. We're on the offensive with an offensive gospel, we're on the offensive going, you can be saved. And there are times when somebody needs to recognize what the cost of not being saved is, and that is condemnation. But man, we're here to make friends, not enemies. We're here to draw people to Christ. And when I say we're here to make friends, I don't mean in like a surface way. We're not bending to make friends. We're not bending truth to make friends. If we aim to make friends, we end up bending the gospel to worship people. When we aim to make followers, the gospel bends people to worship Jesus. And this is a super important thing because we often want somebody to believe so bad that we'll let the gospel be watered down or slightly twisted or slightly different than what it really says. And then what we're doing is inviting them into a false gospel anyway. But we're so worried about the rejection that we twist the gospel into something it isn't. And Jesus very clearly wants us to give away truth and allow people to make their decision on truth. This is what we call the spinach in my teeth corollary. Are you the kind of friend who tells people when they have spinach in their teeth? And I can't see your faces because you're wearing masks, so I have no idea who's grimacing right now and who's smiling. When someone tells you you have spinach in your teeth, how does that make you feel? Super happy? No. The first question you say is, how long? Usually the first question is, why didn't you tell me? And then the person always goes, I'm telling you right now. And then whether you had a job interview that day or a first date or whatever it was, it's always its own issue. But when you tell someone you have, they have spinach in their teeth, you're not giving them pleasant news all the time. Because depending on how far they are from their last meal, this could be terrifying news for them. And it's called the spinach in your teeth corollary because truth isn't always easy to hear. But it isn't loving to hold it back for fear of offending either, is it? It isn't loving to bend the gospel to make somebody happy if it's not the truth anyway. If it's not, it's not loving. Let me give you half the gospel just to get your foot in the door. It doesn't work like that. Now, you can relate to somebody and grow in relationship with them towards truth, but you can't give them falsehoods and then expect later to flip the switch and be like, oh, so that thing I told you about this issue that you're really worried about, I know I just wanted to get you in, but now I got to tell you that's not actually what uh, Jesus would teach. It doesn't work. So we've become a little bit imbalanced, and Jesus isn't going to allow that. We either lean to universalism or fundamentalism. You've got to believe it the way I believe it. Fundamentalism is the only way, it's the only possible thing that you could possibly believe on this nuanced little piece of faith, or the universalism that says, you believe anything? Cool, we're all in the same boat. 
Universalism is only love and affirmation and everyone gets a gold star and a trophy. That's not what Jesus is saying. And fundamentalism says only people who practice this thing the way I practice it are allowed into the party. And he didn't say that either. We need balance. Balance says I'm totally committed to you. I'm showing up to give you my life. And I'm also totally committed to truth at the same time. And so if you don't want it, if you don't want my truth, Jesus said, you can tell somebody, I don't even want your unbelieving dust on my feet. Now, I don't know that you need to be shaking your sandals at people as you leave their house when they reject your truth. But that's the opposite of the house of peace. And so the wise chase the peaceful house and the fool chases the resistant one. Yeah, I know if I could just spin it in a different way, maybe they'd be receptive. If they said, I don't want anything to do with your Jesus, guess what? God's saying there's an opportunity two doors down. There's an opportunity, two cubicles over. There's an opportunity for you, and it may not be there. And so you, in your heart, need to release that. Shake the dust, release it, and find the place where God has put a person of peace in your life. So we have to hold unbridled compassion with unwavering truth. We have to be able to say, I'm here to love you with truth and grace, but I won't compromise Jesus' truth to please you. And not necessarily directly, but that's our life. I want to love you with truth and grace, but I will not compromise Jesus' truth to please you. This is why your lambs in the midst of wolves, we would all be so cool if we could just make people believe whatever it is that they needed to believe and then slowly like trick them into, it doesn't work like that. So this is a lot. I said a lot of things. There's a lot all at once. Three takeaways. Let's grab some. One, Jesus sends his followers out It is a big job. It is easy to be overwhelmed by the scope and the danger in front of us. You have a mission, and your job is to live it out today. If you flip forward a few pages in your Bible, you will see that Jesus has already gotten victory. Jesus is already ahead of this game. God is in control. We don't have to win the war. We've just been invited in the victory parade. You were sent to say, not to save the world, but to serve the individual, okay? So number two, you are lambs among wolves. The gospel of Jesus is not going to win the battle for our culture. That's okay. And it's okay to hold a line of truth in that. We are going to be an incredible counterculture. We don't have to win the culture war God's won the ultimate war. We need to do our job to help in the winning of hearts, individuals along the way. Remembering that when we aim to make friends of people, we bend the gospel to worship the people. And when we aim to make followers of Christ, Jesus will bend their hearts to follow him and worship him. Three, third and final thing. Be on the lookout for people of peace. Even right now, who are the people of peace in your life? Open your eyes to the simple relational opportunities that God is lining up for you. They're simple. If you have to jump through hoops, that may not be it. And then when you find the person of peace, when you find the house of peace, when you find that heart that's just got the door ajar going, maybe I'm open to this. Maybe in this season of confusion and chaos and who do I trust and where do I turn, maybe you have something. Okay, I'll hear more. When you find that, then lean in. Become a listener. Share meals, share life, share truth. We have been sent out as the disciples, we are the disciples, to be agents of healing 
and hope sent to serve and bring light to a world awash in darkness. Our job is to bring amazing grace everywhere we go and allow the sweetness of that sound, allow the sweetness of the amazing grace that has so afflicted us and infected us and transformed us, allow that amazing grace to pour out of us into the lives of others. And when you find someone who is a person of peace and they begin to receive that grace and receive that word and receive the gospel, the good news, the setting free news of the universe, then you'll feel the mission in you. You'll feel the wind of the Spirit behind you. You will feel like, man, this is what I was created for. And it is so simple and so relational and so direct that sometimes we miss it, but it's here for us. We've been sent out that way. Let's pray. Lord, you are uh, the Lord of the harvest. And while um, it feels at times the workers are still few, you didn't complain about that. You just told us that we're on mission. Lord, you, uh, you send us out, each of us, with a role, a tiny line, a tiny thread in the tapestry of the universe that you're weaving together. My prayer for us as a people is that we would embrace that role, that we would embrace our thread Father, you would open our eyes to the people of peace around us, that we would have them even now in our mind's eye, we would be able to see them. This is the person. This is the family. This is the open heart that maybe if you ask one more question, maybe if you invite it over one more, Lord, who is that? Make that clear to each of us. And as you do that, Lord, my prayer is that we would begin to see your victory taking people's hearts. We would begin to see your mission coming to fruition. And as we do that, that we would feel your spirit and the wind in our sails. And God, it would drive us to more of this missional work. Father, remind us that we are the counter culture. That we are the people of love and sacrifice and grace and humility. And as we live out those incredible things as we live out the life of Jesus in this place. Lord, would you add to your number and can we celebrate with you along the way? God, thank you for calling us to a place where the mission matters. We love you. Amen.